0: Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. John chapter 19, verse 28 through 34. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. That is John chapter 19, verse 28 through 34. I want to pre-warn you so that I don't lose you. I I am usually not known for reading boatloads of scriptures. Um, I came out from underneath a ministry that fed you lots of scriptures um, as they preach the word of God. And although I feel that's that's healthy. I also realize that giving too much scripture can affect your spiritual digestion system. But based what I am ministering on, it is critical that I'm completely theologically sound. And so in order to cover all grounds, I want to convey a few more scriptures than I would normally communicate. Is that okay this morning? John chapter 19 verse 28 through 34. Says this, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And now a vessel of full sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the ghost. He gave up his Holy Spirit. Everybody say the ghost, the Holy Ghost. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, in other words, Sabbath was coming and they couldn't work and take them off the cross. So they needed to break the other um, thieves' legs and get them down before preparation day had started. So it says... They had to get them down because it was preparation days that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. And the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him, meaning Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he had already been dead. And then they did not break his legs. And here's the verse... Here's the reason I'm here is this specific verse right here. And it says, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And immediately blood, everybody say blood, Blood. immediately blood and water came out. In my immaturity, I have, I'm publicly repentant if you don't know what I'm doing right now. But in my immaturity for several years, possibly about 15 years, anytime time I've heard any type of preaching on the blood of Jesus, without any disrespect whatsoever, I have probably tuned myself out for most of the service. I believe it may have been because maybe half of it may have been my immaturity and the other half was probably because I thought the minister was directing his message to new converts. And so that was my personal mistake. But the Lord recently has unveiled my eyes as it relates to the power that's in the blood of Jesus. And I truly believe that we are living in a season where the true gospel will be trumpeted from the pulpit once again. I believe that the Lord is reawakening ministers both men and women alike, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, you name it. I believe there's this new old message that's coming out of the church once again that I think that we've lost. And I'm talking about good preaching. I'm talking about Holy Ghost preaching that causes demons to tremble and causes real effect in the body of Christ. I'm I'm talking about messages on the blood, the blood of Jesus. I'm talking about messages on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about messages on the cross of Christ. I'm talking about messages that have seemed to be tucked away in some time capsule somewhere. Messages like on purity and living holy before marriage. I wish somebody would say amen. I'm talking about messages that will awake the body of Christ from her sleep. Messages that will attract the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit so that the Lord can move once again in his church and shake this nation once again. I wish somebody would say amen to that. You know, I'm going to admit a couple of things probably this morning, and one of those admissions is that Halloween used to be my second favorite. I underline that word, used. I may make some of you who particularly love me and have a good relationship with me, uh, my goal is to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable this morning. I am a whole lot bolder in public than I am in private. As you can see, when I'm off the pulpit, I'm a completely different person. I'm very shy, a man of few words most of the time. Uh, But I am in my element. And so you will hear me make a whole lot of bold statements. But my goal this morning is not to get you to be one of my fans. My goal is to bring you closer to Jesus. So one of my... Old, well, my second favorite, Christmas was certainly my favorite. Um, one of my favorite holidays was Halloween, and um, I think I love the prospect of dressing up like Superman and all the Marvels. How many Marvel fans do I have in the house? I love Marvels. Uh, I think Incredible Hulk is one of my most favorite ones, and who can deny going to knock on doors and you know getting candy? And so I used to really love celebrating uh, this holiday on the 31st that we call Halloween. I see everybody looking very nervously at me, uh, thinking to themselves, what is he going to say? (laughs) That is until I begin to study its origins. As a minister, I have to not only be accurate in what I preach, but I have to be very careful in that which I celebrate. And so upon digging into the roots of Halloween, although it looks nice and fun these days, uh, the knocking on doors, the decorations, the, I don't know, the experience of putting on um, different masks and, uh, you know, different decor, I think it's all cute, but I have certainly refrained from doing and celebrating that due to its origins. And if you go back into its origins you will find out that most of the witches and warlocks, a warlock is simply a male witch, do most of their activities and offer most of their praise on what they call either All Saints Day or Halloween. And so you will see, I think, uh, a whole lot of things beginning to shake around the Halloween time, especially if you're a person of the Spirit, if you're certainly prophetic. uh, You'll see a lot of weird things happening. But this is when most of them begin to gather and pray against the church of Jesus Christ, and pray against our nation, particularly now with the election coming up around November 3rd. Um, And so I say all that to say one of the main origins of uh, Halloween, if you trace it back to the Celtic days um, that the Irish celebrate, you will find out that there's lots of sacrifices that are involved with Halloween. Everybody who loves Halloween, I'm not going to get a whole lot of amens from you this morning, but that's okay. And so sacrifices, even human sacrifice and animal sacrifice, are a big part of their practices. And so if you study its origins, uh, you will find and trace that uh, in their celebrations. And although America has kind of beautified it and made it look nice and innocent, its origins, in its essence, are evil. I'm not going to get too many amens. Come on, don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. And so I've been thinking about this this morning and thinking about lots of different cultures who worship um, things other than Jesus. And you will find commonly that there is a lot of sacrifices that happen. And I think there's one thing that I feel all of them have in common and all of them have realized is that there is power in sacrificing and power in shed blood. Because there's something built in us, it's our knower. I call it the Holy Ghost. Somebody say the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Spirit in our hearts knows that there's something, there's some kind of power in sacrifice and the shedding of blood, meaning in the remission of sins. And that's what we're seeing. We're going to talk about the blood of Jesus this morning. And so before, um, before, before I dive into this, uh, I want to communicate um, a couple things. Um, As I am a little nervous today, I want you to be patient with me because I don't think if I took ten different Sundays consecutively, I can communicate the um, the power that's in the blood of Christ. I don't think that I could could adequately articulate um, everything that's due to the blood of Jesus. You know what exactly He did on that cross that day, and the price that He paid, and the power that lies in the blood of Christ. So as I think about um, what's in the blood and its properties, I want to communicate a few principles this morning, and we're going to have some fun. Come on, look at somebody and say, we're about to have some fun. Over the years, I've thought that this particular message was simply for seasoned believers. People who have been in church for 20, 25 years. So again, as I would attend these services, I would kind of tune out the preacher as he began to minister on the blood. But as I have pastoring now for a few years and been around the body of Christ for about between 15 and 18 years, either serving directly or indirectly um, in ministry, I am more convinced than ever that both the lay Christian and the seasoned Christian both alike need the power and the blood of Jesus at work in their life. And so today I'm going to minister from a subject called, what's in it for me? Look at somebody and say, what's in it for me? Now, now I don't mean that the kind of gift that God's going to give you. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what is in the power of the blood of Jesus for you that can be appropriated into certain aspects of your personal life right now. Things that you're facing, mountains that you're facing, whether it's sickness in your body, whether it's something that seems immovable and unshakable in your life, whether it's some kind of circumstances that need supernatural power at work in order to change that thing into what God wants it to change into. And one of the first things that I found in the power of blood, and when I say this word and I make this point, everybody's going to automatically think, okay, somebody who's bound with a, a demon, or, or somebody who's you know in need to get set free in a certain aspect of their life where they have an addiction. And I'm not talking about that, but one of my first points is, there is certain properties in the blood of Jesus that bring about freedom by default. Everybody say freedom. freedom. Jesus paid too high of a price for there to be as many bound Christians as there are right now. Just look straight right now. I've seen a couple of eyes drift down just for a moment. Now, before I really have fun with this, I, I just, I just, I, I feel that that God has has put too much on the line two thousand years ago for us to be walking in the level of victory that many of us are walking into. Now I'm glad this morning if you're here and you feel set free in every single area of your life. But I have I just an inkling of a feeling, in my spiritual Holy Ghost knower this morning that you are not here in your life because everything is going well. I got a feeling that you're in this place because you need a certain direction in your life in this season, and. It's It's only going to happen by the application of the blood of Jesus bringing clarity where there is confusion. Because the the blood of Jesus didn't just work for the remission of sins. It works in your mind. It works in your heart. Come on. It works in your marriage. It will work in your finances. And it will work if you work it. Look at somebody and say, it'll work if you work it. So Jesus paid too high of a price for us to be living on the plains that that we're living in today, in today's world. And when I think about getting the world saved, when I see these amazing gospel messages, which I am all for them, but that is not necessarily my main message because I refuse to step over a bound Christian to get an unsaved one saved into the kingdom. We got to work with who we, God has given us in this hour. So I'm not so, I am concerned about getting the world saved, but I am more concerned with those who are in the kingdom who say I'm following Jesus and yet still have addictions manifesting in their life. I'm focused on the believer who's, who's depressed and who is feeling defeated when God didn't die for a, a, he died for a broken church, but he got broken so that we could get whole. He died and looked like he wasn't a victor to bring us victory. So we should be victors in the kingdom. We shouldn't be victims. We shouldn't be living on a lower plane than what Jesus died for. So if he died for the remissions of sin for humanity, you don't think his blood was strong enough? If it was strong enough, I want you to think about this. If the blood of Jesus Christ was strong enough to cause dead men to come out of the graves when he was crucified on top of Calvary, certainly his blood can deal with that depression. Certainly his blood can deal with that loneliness in your life. Certainly the blood of Jesus could be so perfect that it will cast out that fear in your life. Certainly the blood of Jesus is strong enough to break those ungodly habits in your life. Certainly the blood of Jesus can deal with not only sin, but it can deal with your anger problem. Come on. It can deal with that that, that spouse, that issue that you're having with your spouse, that that arguing that's going back and forth. Come on. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I'm talking about the hidden sins that you can't see on the outside. The blood of Jesus works on external things, but he also works on internal things. He not only works on your anger problem with his precious blood, but he'll work up on that gossip issue. Come on, those bad attitudes, those, that impatience that we have, that, that phone technology addiction. Come on, y'all teens, just, just look. And it's not just teens, but it's adults alike. God's blood, Jesus's blood can work in every area of our lives, including bitterness, including unforgiveness, including everything that would hinder us from being all that God has called us to be. Somebody say the blood. Somebody say the blood. Blood. Notice I'm not mentioning these external sins that hold us bound. Things that people see drinking, alcohol, living outside of marriage. Come on, we don't talk about that no more, do we? We talk about grace. And there is grace. I'm trying. I'm not mentioning these hidden sins, murder, the blood of Jesus can deal with that, adultery, yes, the blood of Jesus, hatred, perversion, all the rest, and 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 that's, listen, those are outward sins that people can see, I'm talking about, I call them Christian sins, because there's sins and then there's Christian sins. We expect the world to behave certain ways, but we, we have a different standard in the kingdom. We have to operate on a different plane, a different standard. And we can't do it in our own strength, but we have to ab- apply the blood of Christ to certain areas of our life so we can experience freedom so that who we're preaching to, come on, it carries weight. Come on, we can't preach about freedom that we don't experience ourselves. I'm talking about the sin of the heart kind of attitudes. And if the blood of Jesus worked for the sins of the world, it can certainly work for these habits. I'm talking about the blood. Come on. I'm talking about the blood that speaks of that than better things of Abel. I'm tired of singing certain songs that talk about freedom that I'm not experiencing in my life. I'm tired of singing about the blood of Jesus, not because it's, it's not real and it's not active, but I, I, I need it to be something real in my life. There's a song that says this in its lyrics, I'm done pretending. I want the real thing. How many want the real thing? How many want to see the blood of Jesus Christ really, truly at work, alive, and active in your life? So I've come to two conclusions. Either, number one, the blood of Jesus is of no effect. Or I'm not appropriating it or applying it to certain areas of my life. Let me explain. So you know you have a a nice house. Most of us have a, a decent house. And when we invite people over, we invite them in, we give them a tour of our house. And they see that front room, you know, the one that you keep, you know, the best looking that nobody sits in do you have one of those that front room it was that old you know back in the back in the 90s it was that that you guys don't remember this i'm from you know my mom would have plastic on on the sofas and then you know she'd take the plastic off it was back in those days when people would come over you know so people if they spilled things on it during the week you know we would have it you know plastic to protect it from stains But that's how our life is. Our Christian life is very much like that. It's clean in certain areas. But then when our friends come over, there's certain rooms that we don't let them in. And you know why. Because it hasn't been cleaned. There's things in that room. There's boxes. There's clutter. There's dog hair on the bed. You know which room I'm talking about? And it's not that you don't have the ability to clean the room. As a matter of fact, if you take about 15 or 20 steps towards the kitchen, there is all the the necessary things to clean it. There's bleach under there. theres Do we still use Mr. Clean? I don't know. My wife cleans the house. Mr. Clean, sanitizing wipes, all these different things, everything necessary to clean that dirty room. But many of our Christian lives look like that. We will sing the house down for Jesus, but we'll gossip about our friend. We will will come to church every single Sunday and won't miss one single Sunday, but we will lie on our time clock. I'm talking about having certain rooms reserved that Jesus hasn't touched yet. Y'all ain't saying nothing to the preacher this morning. We have been giving the ability to apply the blood to certain areas of our lives, but it's not working because we haven't appropriated it. God wants us to be free, not just one area. He doesn't want us to just attend church services and be unfree in certain areas. Jesus wants access to every single area of your life. And I can tell you this morning, whatever that area is, it could be gossip, it could be a sin, it could be an addiction. I don't know what it is. Yes, I'm going to talk about it this morning. Jesus is standing at your front door with a mop bucket and with an apron on saying, let my blood get to that area of your life. It might be unforgiveness. And let me tell you something, with a Christian, the devil himself himself operates in this area more than ever with christians because he knows he can't get us mainly with the outward sins we've got most of those kind of hammered and under our feet but it's the secret sins of the heart unforgiveness, bitterness towards our brother or our sister or our family member, our mom, whomever it might be. He he, he operates through unforgiveness. And so the rest of our Christian life looks good externally. Your friends at church wouldn't know it because you attend every Sunday, but God knows the hidden things of the heart. He knows what room needs to be dealt with this morning. And the only reason we would stay bound is not because of the blood of Jesus is of no effect. It's simply because we haven't grabbed that blood that's sitting under that kitchen sink and applying it to that area of our life so that we can experience the freedom that he paid the price for us. I love, I sat with Reinhard Bonnke. Um, this was years before he passed. And he gave this example that I absolutely love. How many know who Reinhard Bonnke is? A general in the faith, my, my, my favorite by far. And he gave this explanation about the blood of Jesus. And I thought it was so profound. He was interviewed by a large television station, a large network, and he sat down and they put Reinhardt in front of an atheist who didn't believe in God, obviously. And the argument started off with, Sir, Mr. Bonnke, or Minister Bonkey, whatever he called him, Evangelist Bonkey is what he called him, he said, I believe that the blood of Jesus is not effective. It wasn't effective 2,000 years ago, and it's not effective now. Why are all these children still dying? Why are all these divorces happening? Why is there all this sickness and all of this disease in the earth? It doesn't, not only does it seem like the church and the world is not any better, but it's worse than it's ever been. Pretty good argument if you really think about it. And I love Reinhardt's explanation. He said, sir, there are men and women sleeping under bridges right now that don't smell very good. Their clothes are tattered. But it's not because the bar of soap doesn't exist. He said, as a matter of fact, you can live in a soap factory and it won't make you any cleaner. So it's not the fact that the blood of Jesus doesn't exist in that area of your life. God paid the price and everything that he did and was ever going to do, he's already done. It's up to us to grab hold Whatever area of that life that we're struggling this morning, and you take the blood of Jesus and you speak it over your life against that unforgiveness, over that marriage that's struggling, over that addiction in your life, and you keep speaking the blood of Jesus until he sets you free. Come on, it deserves a better amen than that this morning. Somebody say there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. There's a scripture I love, and it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Yeah, I hear you, Holy Spirit. Yeah. There is someone who just had the thought just now, I've been applying it for years, and it's still not at work in my life. And you can speak by faith, and speak by faith, and I know what this is like. You're believing for that miracle in your life, and you're speaking the blood of Jesus, and you're seeing no effects but usually when you're, when you're tired, when you're at your wit's end, is usually when God performs the miracle. And just because you haven't seen no effects of the blood of Jesus doesn't mean that the blood's not on its way. Because I can tell you, for 15 years, I prayed for my brother Matt. I prayed for his salvation. And last week, he had a true conversion Publicly, and we baptized them right outside. So I don't care if it doesn't seem like the blood of Jesus isn't working, if it seems like that loved one will never be saved, if it seems like that grief from the loss of that loved one doesn't seem like the sting is ever gonna go away, my exhortation for you this morning is take the blood and keep washing and washing until He washes it clean and sets you free and does that miracle that He promised you in His Word. The second thing it does is this okay? The second thing that the blood of Jesus does, I'm talking to you, Christian. The second thing is it gives you access. Everybody say access. It gives you access. Read this with me in Genesis chapter three, verse 23. I'm gonna go just a tiny bit longer than I normally would. Is that okay, everyone? Watch this. In Genesis chapter three, verse 23 through 24, New King James Version. Therefore, the Lord God sent him, who's him? Adam, he sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden. Now, watch this. And a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of life. Watch this. When Adam fell, he got put out of the garden, and from there on, it was access denied. Access denied. Access from what? Access from the presence of God. Access from its redemptive properties. Access from the miracle working power of God. He he was denied access from walking with God in the garden like he did in the beginning before the fall. And so, if you fast forward, God and His om, omniscient and His all—you know, His all-knowing eye—trying to come up with the, the, the plan. It wasn't like He was scattering, but in His in His wisdom, God comes up with the plan. I'm I'm going to establish something that where I can where I can actually visit them and meet them halfway, and that was through creating what they called the wilderness tabernacle. Everybody, say the wilderness tabernacle. Gonna, can I teach you a little bit this morning? I want to teach you something. If you don't already know it yet, for some of you theologians who already know, be patient with me. It was called the Tent of Meeting, and it was also called the Wilderness Tabernacle. So here, once a year, the priest, and only the priest, would be able to go into the main part of the sanctuary. It was like a mobile church is what it was. So it was made of... Uh, some sticks and stakes and ropes and uh, curtains, and there were three parts to this tabernacle. Do we have another picture of the tabernacle? No, it's okay. So on the outer, what we would call the outer court was outside where you see uh, the brazen altar where they would perform burnt offerings, okay? There were sacrifices that were made. There were bulls, goats, lambs, pigeons, you name it. Everyone could go to the outer court, everyone. And then there's the laver, the blue right there, where they would wash their hands, they would wash themselves from the blood that they got on their hands from the sacrifice. And then thirdly, you have where no one else could actually go except for the priests would go into this place called the holy place. Everybody say the holy place. This is the second dimension of the tabernacle. And this is where certain things, there was the menorah, there was the table of showbread, there was the altar of incense, and this is where they would perform ceremonies. But that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about this purple veil that's there. We see the Ark of the Covenant, which is beyond the veil there. No one was able to go in there except that priest once a year. And it was a sacred place. This is where they say God's presence dwelt. And so once a year, that priest would take the blood from that animal and sprinkle it on what was called the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where forgiveness would take place. So once a year, God would date his people. Once a year. He couldn't be intimate with them, but he can get close with them and date them. This was God's reciprocity for a fallen state. We can get close, but we can't be intimate. And that was Jesus' redemptive plan. But so when Jesus, if you fast forward beyond that, I won't elaborate on it too much, but when Jesus paid the price on the cross, he was the high priest who performed. He was not only the priest, but he was the offering. He was both the offerer and the offering. He was both the lamb and the priest all at the same time. And so when Jesus died on a hill called Calvary on the top of Gilgotha, when the blood dripped down his brow and the blood came down his side after the Roman soldier pierced him. Demons don't like this kind of preaching on the blood. When the blood ran down Jesus's side, something significant happened in the temple. The Bible says the veil was ripped from top to bottom. In other words, where only the priest had access, the common man and the common woman could enter boldly to the throne of grace that they may obtain mercy. You went from dating God to him becoming your husbandman. You went from going on a date once in a while, once a year and getting my sins committed, you know, forgiven, but to, to now 365 days a year, Monday through Friday, Saturday through Sunday, I can have direct access and communication with God. So what is the problem? Why are we living on such a low plane? Can I tell you? Because we don't have a revelation that's, that's in the power of the blood. The revelation of its effects. And one of its effects gave us access And before Jesus died, we were denied access into his presence. But now we can enter the throne of grace and obtain mercy. Did you know you can sit before the, you can sin last night, and I pray that you didn't. But when we do, and we sin, and we sin in many different ways, thoughts, words, and deeds. But when, here's what the enemy does. He uses what we've done yesterday to keep us from getting in God's presence. It's because we don't understand the blood. And we don't justify our sins, but I'm going to tell you something. When you do sin, the Bible says that we have an advocate with the Father. We have somebody who prays on our behalf. We have somebody who shed his blood for us so that when Jesus seen what you did last night, as soon as you come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. I repent. I won't do that anymore. Jesus Blood covers you, and when God looks at you, he doesn't see filth. He doesn't see eternal separation. He sees his bride. He sees you spotless, without a blemish, and you can have access to him, and your relationship with him is once again reborn. That's why the Bible says his mercy and grace is new every month. Every morning. His mercy and his grace is new every single morning, every single day. Now, I love this. Is this okay, guys? Some of you are looking kind of funny. I love this scripture. Watch this. I'm having fun myself, though. I'll preach myself happy. I'm going to go home and have my own offering and all that good stuff. Have communion. I love what it says here. So. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, put that up on the screen if you can. I would love for everybody to see this. Watch this. So now we were afar off when Adam sinned. This is before the blood of Christ when they were in the tabernacle. Watch this, this is in the New Testament. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by what, your good works? You've been brought near by your Bible reading? Have you been brought near by going to conventions? Have you been brought near by going to different Christian events? No, the Bible says that you have been brought near by the what? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at the bottom. You've been brought near by the blood. You haven't been brought, been brought by your own works and your own righteousness you haven't been brought near to God by your own prayer life, and certainly it contributes to it, but you have been brought near by a blood that has been freely given to you and I. Yes, amen. I love what Ephesians uh, 2 also uh, says in 11 through 13, but this is the message version. Watch this. I love this. It, it may be up on the screen. It says this, now because of Christ, come on, I'm talking about access. Somebody say access, access granted, say access granted. Now, because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it, altogether, are in on everything. Look, Look at that, look at that. Because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. Come on. That means we are blessed to be a blessing now in these days. Come on. You, are in, you, you, you may be experiencing depression right now, but can I tell you, the blood can handle it. You may be experiencing defeat in your life right now, but it's nothing that the blood can't handle. You may be lacking specific direction. I feel there's some people in here It's not just about sin. I feel there's some people in here who are lacking direction. I want you to begin to verbally just speak. Lord, I thank you that the blood of Jesus is giving my mind and my heart and my spirit, man, direction for the next season. Come on, apply the blood of Jesus to whatever. If that that marriage isn't working, come on. You don't necessarily, and it's good, get the counselor. Get a Christian, come on, say a Christian counselor. Get a counselor, but don't get a Christian counselor and not apply the blood. You can get the Christian counselor if you want, but apply the blood. Come on, if, you're, if your business isn't working, your business, whatever it is, apply the blood. God didn't give me no strategy when I built my business 18 years ago to be what it is today. I was, I was just as ignorant as they come. I didn't I had no father to show me how to structure things. I just knew one thing, plead the blood. And as that all happened and I pleaded the blood, God brought people into my life, come on, to help me do the practical things. So let's not get so natural that we fall out of the spirit, but let's not go get so spiritually minded where we're no earthly good. Amen? But the blood works. Somebody say, the blood works. I'm almost done. Number three, there's blood, excuse me, there's life in the blood. There's life. In the blood, somebody say there's life in the blood. Even in the natural, when you talk to doctors, I mean, you know this. You don't have to be a doctor to know that. Know this, nor speak to a physician, to know that there is life in the blood. There's oxygen in the blood, but you know what I found out? I was reading early this morning. I was reading. um, I believe it was in Genesis. May have been Corinthians. You know, when Adam was formed, I read Genesis. He had no blood in his body. He was spirit. Everybody say spirit. Bone and flesh, no blood. He had no blood in his body. He's my shouter. You know, you have one of those in the church. So, when Adam was first created, he was only blood, spirit, and bone. But when he fell, remember when he showed, sewed things together? He covered himself with well, blood. And this is why we're susceptible to sickness and disease. Is all of a sudden, when Adam got pushed out of the garden, he was not only spirit, soul, body, with blood and bones, excuse me, bones and flesh, he had blood. And so, so I want you to listen to me. Everybody lean in just a little bit. The reason why we're so susceptible to sin, sickness, and disease is because he got the nature, the blood from a fallen. He made a decision to cause him to fall and that blood that he had in his body was now natural, not heavenly. He wasn't sustained on a heavenly substance. He was sustained only by earthly. Okay, let, let me. I know it's really deep. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 15. Just read this with me. Just be patient with me. I'll get there. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 15, 44 through 49. Read this with me. He's talking about a body. He's talking about natural bodies and spiritual bodies. Everybody with me? Yeah. You with me? It says this, is, it is sown in a natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. It is a natural body and there is an, a spiritual body. And now it is written, watch this, the first man, Adam, everybody say the first man. First man, Adam, became a living being. Then Why did he die if he became a living being? He's talking about a natural man. He became a living being. The last Adam, who's the last Adam? Come on, talk to me. Who's the last Adam. The last Adam is a, became a life-giving, I'm talking about life, a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, the man of the dust. Watch this. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Watch this. And so also those who are heavenly, as we have been born the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. You know why we experience sickness and disease the way that we do? Not only do we live in a fallen world, but because many of us don't have the revelation that God provided a spiritual blood transplant. I know that's heavy. I'm not saying that we're not all susceptible, but there is a realm that you can walk in. Come on, either either the promises of God are true or they're not. How many know they're true? And it's not God who's the problem. We, me, us, we are the problem. So, so so, if you're struggling with sickness, disease, lying, it doesn't matter what it is, addiction, divorce, depression, there's nothing that the blood of Jesus can't deal with. Because once you get hooked up to Christ and you get, you get an understanding, you get the revelation of what the blood actually can do. Come on, it can give you access. Come on, it can bring life into your life. If you appropriate it, if you apply it, it will change your life. Look at somebody and say, it'll change your life. Look at somebody else and say, it'll change your marriage. (laughs) Or it might get you married if you're single. Come on, come on. Somebody apply the blood if you're single. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. (laughs) So when Jesus died, what that scripture is saying, if I'm simplifying it in the DSV version, He's saying that the first man provided death. The second man created life in the blood. And so we are in position. Just because there's a gift doesn't mean you've opened it. Just because it's available doesn't mean you've taken advantage of it. Many of us are not experiencing the fullness of God, not because it doesn't exist. It's either two reasons. We haven't stepped into it or we haven't used our faith to attain it. But it's here and it's now. Listen to this. Are you ready? Say, I'm listening. listening. You remember when the disciples were alive and they were walking with Jesus? Jesus was saying the kingdom is already here. Where's the kingdom? So then something's wrong. We're We're simply not walking into it kingdom is not here or there. It's righteousness, joy, peace in the Holy Ghost. It's not, it's not here. The Bible says it's within. So everything that you need, can I tell you today? Oh Jesus, this is good. This is good. What am I about to say? I was sitting with Reinhard Bonnke. I've said this many times. I was sitting with him and, and it, it was, it was awakening to me, but he didn't, he said something not very nice to me. At least I didn't think so in the moment. It changed my life, and even when I repeat what he said to me, I shaken I shaken my shoes. I was going to say my boots. I have four kind of boots. He said, "Sir," he, he I believe he called me by my name, or he said, "Son, why aren't you in full time ministry?" He was eating fried chicken with a fork and a knife. And he says, why aren't you in full-time ministry? And I made the most spiritual. I thought it was spiritual. It's what you're (laughs) supposed to say. I'm waiting on the Lord, you know. I didn't say it like that. I said, I'm waiting on the Lord. And I really thought I was. He got, I mean, this holy indignation over him. He literally almost comes over the chair at me. He was sitting next to me, but he wanted to see me face to face because we're elbow to elbow. He moves around the table and he like leans over. And I say, I'm waiting on the Lord. He leans over this table and he said, God waits on you. You waiting on the Lord right now? You're waiting for that thing to change? You're waiting for deliverance? Can I tell you this morning? The blood is available and God waits on you. He waits on you. He's waiting on us. If not us, when? Everything he already did he, did, he did it already, and it's available. We have access. He, he's, he's giving us life. He's giving us his word. He's given us access into the Holy of Holies. No longer do we have to wait. You don't have to wait for pastor to pray for you before you get healed. Did you know that? My goal is to not create prayer lines that wrap around this building. My goal is to have empty prayer lines filled with the church of intercessors, of casting out demon, devil-stomping believers who shake the world, who shake their people in their cubicle and in the workplace, and who shake their families in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, stand to your feet. Glory to God. Glory to God. Number four, and I close with this, and I won't elaborate on I won't elaborate on it a whole lot. but he died. His blood was shed so that we could have victory. So that we can have victory. Look at somebody and say, victory. victory. Look at somebody else, and I want you to look at them in their eyes, really. Look look at each other's eyes and say, Do you have victory? Do you really have victory? Or are there areas of your life where you don't? And so here's the bigger question. Who's the problem? Us or God? That bar of soap is there waiting. Wherever you're experiencing defeat, wherever you're struggling, if it's a nicotine problem, it's not too small for God's blood to work for it. If it's depression, if it's addiction, if it's loneliness, the blood still works. Look at somebody and say, it still works. I want to read a couple of scriptures. I'm not going to elaborate on them because I believe that there's power in the blood itself. I'm gonna say victory. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. I'm gonna say this with authority. So Christ was offered once to bear the sin of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. I'm talking about his blood now. Everybody say, I'm justified. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. That's Romans 5, verse 9. And you are forgiven. Listen to this. In him, we have the redemption through his blood. Redemption through what? Redemption. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Let me just take a teaching moment just for one more second. I look up that word redemption and it means to restore back to its natural form. That means God didn't just save you from what is to come in the earth. He didn't just save you from hell. Redemption means to restore back to its original state. (laughs) You know what that means? Back to the garden. Back to the garden. What do you do in the garden, Mom? Adam walked with God. He talked with God. His fellowship was restored. We call it seasons. God calls it backslidden. God calls it backslidden smith wigglesworth said it like this and if i look at you with conviction it doesn't mean it applies to you i just need somebody to look at we call it i'm going through a season where i'm dry in god maybe that is true but if you're hooked up to a well i read it in psalms he's like a well-watered garden whose streams never fail he never fails So it's not the water that's the problem, not the blood that's the problem. It's our connection. Redemption through his blood. Spiritually alive. Then Jesus said to them, and then John, this is John chapter six, verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man, can I have the communion elements passed out? Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, I was talking about life, you have no life in you. All those likes on Facebook will never satisfy, it won't give you life. efforts, all the things that we struggle to, to fill the voids, it doesn't produce life. There's only life found in one thing, and that is in the precious blood that comes from the Lamb of God. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.